to another episode of the Boom Bastic Cast. Tinging, tinging, tinging. That's right, y'all won. If you're here listening to us right now, you just won the game, and your prize is a nice old helping of the Boom Bastic Cast with Billy Cohen. Get a gold star. Huh? What was that, Bill? You get a gold star. Well, Billy's going to be paying for that gold star because we <laughs> we only allow real products. So you got to find the the funds that got real gold stars. But, you know, <laughs> they don't have to be big, but you know, big. You know, as big as a little sticker stars at least for everybody that listens at home can put it on. You know, put on their lapel and have a good deal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Fine, you'll get yeah. an imaginary cookie. Any one of your <laughs> blessings, anyone you want. We don't believe in imaginary things here, Bill. This isn't that type of show, all right? Hey, Bill, we're about the now, the here, the real. And uh, we want you to to deliver that product on the real. It's kind of what we're looking forward to. Film reels and on the real, real, Bill. Billy, how you doing? Welcome back to the Bloombasticast. I'm doing good. I dig. It feels like it's been like at least an episode or something like that before you've been on the, the show before, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like, I mean, shit, I mean, I talk to you on a weekly basis, you know, we do shows, you know, I don't know, I mean, it just feels like yesterday we just did an episode, so, you know, I know it wasn't, but no, in, in the time duration between then, I'm doing pretty fucking good. That's good to hear, Billy. Always glad to have you yeah. on the show, man. Billy's you know, a big part Mr. Of Hawk looking all comfortable over there, as usual. I'm That's digging it. Hawk I'm does. digging it. Yeah, Hawk. just kicking back, just relaxing, you know, trying to enjoy myself on the lazy Sunday afternoon. You know, he's in the Hawk Nest studio. Doing a yeah. big acquired by, by the Boombastic Media Network. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. I, I I live in the lap of luxury in my own little bird's nest. Uh, I think it feels like we're always doing shows because we do so many shows with Billy. He's a big part of the Boombastic Media Network. I well, guy. I definitely bounce around, you know, under the Boombastic umbrella between, you know, like Bud and Blood with Jesse and, you know, Dead Kids of Dairy with Hugh and James and yeah. Jesse as well. And, um, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm probably the one guest that's been on the most in my own mind. But I, you probably have other people that you've interviewed just as it's, many times well, as me, I, I would think. I'd have to agree that Billy Coyne is, I think, one of the most had on guests of the show. Alex, what do you think? I think so, right? I think we're having technical difficulties today in a major way. So, as we wait for Alex to come back, perhaps even Billy Coyne, this is an interesting deal. You're uh, now in tune with just Matt Fisher on the Boom Bastard cast. Uh, We're doing a big, we got a glorious theme for everybody today. This is a theme we've been kicking around wanting to do. You're back, Matt! Oh, what was I gone for? Five years. A matter of seconds. I was just in an imaginary world. 
with 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 fucking money. <laughs> People singing songs, and there was a, my dog was there, and there was a scarecrow, and there was a tin man, and a fucking big lion guy. The big put lion them all, guy. Put them up. You wouldn't stop lying thing, to me. I only heard you were in a fantasy world with Munchie and a lion. <laughs> well, we, well, blood and bud. Everybody check it out. You know what I mean? Well, you got Munchies and lion. You got blood and bud. Yo, yeah, oh yeah, munchies, lion, some, some bud that smokes on your last breath. <gasps> Put it, let it out there. <laughs> bye bye. You know what I mean? Wow, I I was vibing with a technical difficulty. I don't know if it, any what we caught before it went out. I guess the editor, Mister Butterfuga, will figure out what the where we technical technicaled out, but hopefully isn't too much of a hassle. But I was getting ready to pop into the theme, gentlemen. Should we pop into the theme? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell Buddy to go fuck himself too. Courtesy of the dude. If you be, Buddy will cut you out of this episode completely if you if you fuck with Bud. Uh, I don't want to edit up the. I don't want to do no editing. So no, we'll make it easy. Yeah. So we'll be good for him. We'll be a good guy to him. But uh, you know, this was an episode that has kind of been in the works for a long time. You know what I mean? Because we're all big fans. Well, you know. Well, all three of us, big, big fans. I think I can say that. All three of us are big fans of the Corys, you know what I mean? Um, Corey Feldman, Corey Haim, rest in peace, Corey Haim, you know what I mean? 2010, adios, said peace, see you, see you around. The, uh, I remember he was at Rock and Shock like a year before he died, and I was super yeah. bummed out because I didn't go that year. And or even I, maybe I even went but didn't go. There was a weird time where I just, I was going. But I wasn't doing the autographs. I was, I was like done with that. Like that, I when I first came into the convention, cause I've been going for fucking like like a lot of everybody here, for like fifteen, like fifteen years or so, going to these cons. Where as soon as they popped up, locally started going. And in the beginning, dude, I would buy, I would buy your autograph if you were like a production assistant on a movie I liked. You know what I mean? Like I was big into that type deal. And then it was like, all right, once you get an autograph, it's like you don't need two autographs. You know what I mean? Then I got, I, I started to get more into like, you know, the merch and shit like that. You know, walking the aisles. Yeah, and all that I remember stuff. when he was there at Rock and Shock that year and, you know, doing the green room stuff. I had the opportunity to chat with Hayne for a little bit. Oh, hell yeah. I yeah. And so I, I had some one on one with him and, and, and he was, he was very nice. So I will, will give him that, but he looked, and I've heard people say this about him. He looked lost. Yeah. And I think, I, I think maybe, I think he was using, but you know, he was very pleasant. You know, he was very cordial. You know, he, he would make, he would take the time to talk to, you know, his fans, which was great. And in the green room where usually, you know, you can have a drink and let your hair down, you know, he was so pleasant, just a real nice guy. He was hanging out with another gentleman by the name of Corey. And, um, I thought that was interesting. So, you know, yeah, he was hard. just, um, I like, yeah, I like, it was a tale of another, Corey. another Corey, yeah, yeah. but you know, he, he was a good dude and he was very, very sad when we lost him, you know, and it was only a few months later. Cause I think it was January or February of 2010. I don't think it was that late in the year, but it was definitely less than six months than, uh, when he passed away, uh, after rock and shock. Yeah. 
I like the the drugs and stuff. I like to consider a vampire venom. Like he might be got he got bit in the hand and he never could got get the venom out of him and eventually overcame him. You know what I mean? Now wasn't the, the dude who played Tiny in uh, like House of a Thousand Corpses? I think Devil's Rejects. It was like Matthew McGregor, or maybe no, something like that. Well, it was his first name was Matthew. I do remember remember that he's a yeah. tall gentleman. He was in like that like he was in a Marilyn Manson music video. He was in Big Fish, I think, too. He was in Big Fish as well. Exactly that dude. I think he was in like a My Friend the Giant movie with like. Uh, Billy Crystal? Billy Crystal, I think. But that dude, same situation where, like, you don't, you don't, they're, they're, they're both young guys, both dudes I seen. I was there because I remember seeing and being like, oh, dude, like, they're going to be here fucking forever. Like, I can go catch them next year. You know what I mean? They'll be here next year or a year from now. You know, Rocket Shock was known to bring in a lot of the same people. So it's like, it wouldn't be common for them to be there next year. And Lost Boys and Corey in general. Uh, the films that he did are fucking iconic. So he could always, he'd be a dude that would be coming back for like Rhode Island Comic Con. It's really unfortunate some of these people that passed that were like that because like there's a whole second life of support that he would have got through fans and stuff that would just go see him. And from what I understand, he was very personable. When you met him at a at a convention, he'd give you like hugs and shit. He was like a good dude. So people that can really that are really either can play that or people that are really that genuine, genuine with their fans, I think get the support, um, you know, that they, that would like definitely carry them would help them out. Definitely in a dark time, so to speak. Um, but very unfortunate stuff. Uh, since we brought up vampire blood before, I think we'll start with, you know, the first, the first film, quite possibly the best film, you know, arguably the best film, uh, of their both the collab, the duo of the Corey and the Corys, you know what I mean? And you know what that film is, right, boys? Lost Boys! Only a lost right. boy would know. You got that right, brother. Easily one of the top five best vampire movies of the 1980s, because there were a lot of great movies, but Lost Boys is definitely, I would say, in the top five best vampire movies out of the 80s. Joel Schumacher. I'm a big Joel Schumacher fan. You know, he's done a lot of really good stuff. Falling Down, I think, is a masterpiece. You know what I mean? Oh. It's, I uh, think he did The Firm. I think Didn't he, he do The Firm? I think he did do The Firm. He, he did a whole bunch of stuff. He was on top of his game for a long time. I think he just recently passed away. Yeah, he passed away yeah. within the past few years. Rest in yeah, peace. Rest in well. peace. Yeah. Some peace, Joel. And I know that... Uh, Very energetic man. Very energetic guy, from what I hear. Was just really always on his game. Um, and he was kind of ahead of the curve in many ways. Um, Joel Silver and his wife were big advocates um, for Schumacher um, in his directing career. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a, it's a shame that... Uh, a lot of people only will think of him as the director who did Batman and Robin, which I, I the the movie wasn't great. I mean, I'm not. I mean, it was you know it was campy. It was more along the lines of like uh, the Adam West type, which is what you know like Joel Adam was West going though. for. It was, and you can't and, hate him for it. And the fact. But unfortunately, so many people, and and this is a, th- a fact with 
a lot of the superheroes and and, and Star Wars and other big fan uh, driven franchises is the fact that you know if you don't do something the way that they want it done, they will always hate you for it. And and the fact is, if I ever bring up Joel Schumacher, they always bring up that movie, which, I mean, it's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think it's his fault. I think it's a lot of other things added to it. And the fact is, you can't dismiss a man's body of work. He's done so many great films that you can't dismiss him because he did one or two movies that you did not agree with. Right. You know what I mean? DC Cab, you know, Great Flick, St. Emil's Fire, Lost Boys, Cousins, Flatliners, which is an underrated flick for sure. Great movie. You know what I mean? Dying Young, Falling Down is a map. If you've never seen Falling Down out there, anybody listening, go grab that classic. The Client, which I love The Client. You know, at that time, like, I remember reading The Client in school. And, like, so it was the first time I think I really, like, I think I read a book and then I went and watched the movie type deal. And the movie is really fucking good. Uh, Brad Renfro's in it. The soul of Brad Renfro's fucking lost in it, unfortunately. Um, a Time to Kill, Phone Booth, kill was 8 Millimeter. Yeah. 8 Millimeter was a good time. Flawless. I like it. Was- Flawless? If, have you guys seen Flawless? It's kind of an under-the-radar movie. I saw bits and pieces. I never saw the whole thing. I'm, I remember I remember like the last 10 minutes, and that's about it. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think who's in it, because I know I'm, God, I'm having a brain fart. Flawless was... It's got Robert De Niro and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. and It's like a really good movie. Uh, it's Hoffman's like, I think... A, uh, Transgender person, yeah, transgender. yeah, yes. And is like an old dude who's like old, old ways, and they like through an awkward situation, they find out kind of like needing each other, or one of uh, Denaro needing, you know, uh, him, and then like they kind of grow a friendship. It's like one of those cool, very artistic, you know, uh, Sundancey. Very, I think it might even went it was a big deal of Sundance, but it was like that type of film. It's really good, actually. I get the VHS. Tigerland, Bad Company, Phone Booth, you know what I mean? Bunch of stuff in them. The opera was a big deal at the time. The number 23 with Jim Carrey is an interesting flick, you know what I mean? Mm. Phone but, Booth, I like. Phone Booth was also written by Larry Cohen. Yeah, it was. You're right. The thing with Phone Booth is, like, I, I thought Larry Cohen directed that as well. I think so a lot of people threw, did, actually. That threw yeah. me off. When I seen that, when I just, like, Flipped through and seen that uh, Schumacher directed it. I, I had a second look at it because I, I could have sworn Cohen directed it too. I think I've said yeah. that on the show before, so I guess I apologize for that, that unreality. But Lost Boys is great, one of the greatest vampire movies ever made. You know what I mean? Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland's definitely. absolutely, yeah. So Corey and Keeper doesn't even have that much dialogue in the movie. He has the least amount of time in the movie, but he's one of the most memorable characters from the movie it just based off of Michael. his screen presence. Yeah, it just noodles, Michael. Um, out of res- I won't make a joke noodles. about that out of respect to Corey. Now, Lost Boys, the vibe of it is you have a family that moves to, I believe, California. It is Santa Clara or something like that, uh, California. 
and uh, yeah, and uh, Feldman and, and Corey Haim is like the younger brother in that family, and Feldog is a uh, part of the turtle. What is it, the Frog Brothers? That uh, their family, their parents the own a comic brother. book shop, and they they want they they're like big into fantasy comics and like. They're kind of like horror fan, like young horror fan kids where like they like Ghostbustery deal where like they believe in vampires and they prepare their whole days and nights to fight vampires. But realistically, I guess you come to find out that it, it isn't unrealistic to have to fight these vampires. And uh, Feldog's one of the brothers in it. And, you know, he, uh, Haim requires the help of the two brothers to kill these vampires that have been uh, his brother. And that's kind of the vibe of it. And it's a really good movie from, you know, fucking one of the best vampire movies made for real. In every sense of it, it was great for like the time and still it's kind of timeless and it's timeless in a good way. It's almost like you have the greaser bad guys of back in the day. It's almost like those punker vampires are like their generation of that, you know what I mean? Yeah, and plus The Lost Boys, you know, being this big temple movie, you know, being put out by Warner Brothers um, the same weekend. Probably one of the other best vampire movies out of the 80s was released the same weekend. And that was um, Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark. Classic. Which I think is a very good vampire movie. Uh, very good. That, that was the year of vampire flicks. If that's 85, I think, right? You're saying the same month they were both released? Same weekend. Wow. Wow. It's crazy when you go look at, like, pictures of, like, the, you know, the theater marquees and just, Mm -hmm. like, from, like, the 80s and shit and just see, like, the movies that all came out. It's, like, masterpiece, masterpiece, masterpiece. It's, like, god dang. That's a crazy opening weekend, dude. Yeah, you think of, like, like even looking at, like, 42nd Street in the late 70s into the 80s, you know, before it was Disney Eyes in the 90s, because you know, they had all those marquees, you know, of all these amazing movies. But, yeah, I'm agreeing with what you say, Mr. Fisher. Very cool. Let's go back. Yeah. I want a time machine just to go back for these weekends. You, Us three boys, we just started a Patreon, and we're making so much money we can afford to go back in time now. So <laughs> I want to take you boys back this weekend. Pack your bags. This week, we're going right? back to 1985. We're going back to that weekend, baby. And we're going to catch both movies that weekend doing a big. Well, I mean, it's, 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 it's sad, but I mean, I mean, if you think about it in the last 10, 20 years, yeah. can we think of any marquee like that that, you know, we can see in the future? Of those things being classics like, you know, The Lost Boys and all that. And the future? I'm having a, no. Yeah, I'm having a hard time thinking of anything in the last 20 years that is of the same caliber. And when I mean that, I mean of longevity. That, you know, when we're like in our 80s, we can say, well, you know, that was a great movie that came out in 2010. A great movie that came out in 2022. I mean, is there any movies in the last 20 years that I'd have to have like I'd have to do I'd have to do some look back, but there's definitely been little chunks of there's, there's been a few. I was thinking about this just last night. Yeah. I think um I think probably within the next 10, 20 years um Tucker and Dale versus Evil will, 
be considered a contemporary classic. I, I, it's I, a very funny movie. I have a very unpopular opinion about that, which I, I think <laughs> is very overrated. I enjoy it, but I think people people pull its pants down and give a fellatio too much. You know what I mean? That's just my opinion. But it's not a bad movie. You know what I mean? Or even like John dies at the end. Classic. You know? Way I mean, better I film. Think, I think better. that will do very well for itself in the future, looking back on it. I mean, and that's all of cost. I would say probably about... I love Costarelli. I really do. I love all of his work. And I think all of his stuff has been perceived as some form of a contemporary classic. I mean, fuck, Phantasm is an amazing movie. Gone is the Man, highlight of my panel doing career, I think, was doing, you know, hosting the 40th anniversary Phantasm with Don and the cast. That was, was that the uh, same weekend with uh, the, the Terrifier guy? Yeah but, don't, yeah, but don't tell them I, I like the Phantasm one more. Don't tell them, you know what I mean? But <laughs> Coscarelli is the man. Um, and John dies at the end is perfect example of how, you know, how great he kind of is. Cause it's, you know, every now and then you'll see a filmmaker that maybe their, their work, they're better known for their work, you know, 10, 20 years ago or so. And they'll make a newer movie and it'll have the vibe. I won't name no directors. There's directors here that we both, all three of us love that are very dated in their films. So like, They'll make a movie now and it'll feel like it was made, you know, in the 80s or whatever. But John Dies at the End is a movie that he directed and it has the vibe of somebody who like just got out of film school that has like a lot of talent. You know what I mean? And that and that was that was like a fresher breath there. And uh, it got good praise and it should have. And I was hoping to see him do some more stuff after that. But I, he, I was saying here. That re- it really didn't happen to be that way, but um, he can do it. It's proof. It's proof that he can still do it. So hopefully, I know he has stuff he wants to do. Uh, he wrote a great book, you know, True Indie, I believe it's called. I read it. It's behind me somewhere here. Yeah, True Indie. That's the name of it. And uh, great book. Uh, but yeah, if he's looking to get money and you got money and you're listening, give it to Don because. Don still got it, and I'd even say maybe he's better than he's ever been. So that's my take on that. But let's get back to the Lost Boys. Right. Lost Boys. I mean, those great Keanu makeups, you know, the way that he made those yeah. vampires look, this was years before Twilight. They, they weren't sparkling. These were cool, greaser, badass, I was about to say zombies, vampires. Right. And then you have this outside element, Diane Weist with her kids, Jason Patrick, Corey Hain. And now they're starting to intertwine with these, you know, vampire folk. And you also have Ed Herman in there, who is very unsuspecting, legendary, you know, on stage. Perfectly cast. An amazing cast. Perfectly cast. His character alone is perfectly cast as max dude that is so uh you do not see that i did not see that coming dude it was and that's what makes a good movie having those curveballs because a lot of people didn't i think expect you know his character alex i know you weren't always a big horror fan but the lost (laughs) boys i'm not busting walnuts kid you know what i mean um um it's what i always I always enjoyed the Lost Boys. Yeah. Um, 
it's it was really I mean it was really punk rock, you know. I thought it was it 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 was what what I loved about it was two things. One, okay, the title itself, Lost Boys. Wow. Whenever you think of Lost Boys, first thought is Peter Pan, right? That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay, and then and then you got you know this this movie with that title about vampires. Now, if you look about it, that the whole thing about Peter Pan is that these kids will never, you know, grow up, never get old and all yeah. that. That is what a vampire is. Great, yeah. A, a vampire doesn't... So the the name itself, I, I always love when you have names of movies yeah. that you can look at it, at it from different angles. And if you look at it from, you know, the most notable uh, use of that, which is the Peter Pan stories, and then you put the fact that this is about a group of vampires, young vampires, mm-hmm. that it really ties in. I mean, when I first heard about that, I uh, heard the title, I thought this was a version of Peter Pan, some kind of story just focusing on the Lost Boys. Now, yeah. when I watched it, it was a cool change, but also still true to kind of the the essence of the idea of the Lost Boys, the idea of always being young, always being able to live your, your youthful self, do what you want to do, be, you know, the the cool, badass, punker guy, you know, yeah. doing what you want and taking risks and not caring about the consequences. Right. And, so, Alex, did it surpass your expectations? Yeah, it surpassed my expectations. And the fact oh. is that it changed my expectations. Good. There's sometimes when you hear a name and you, you you see a bit of the trailer and you're like, well, this is not exactly what I'm thinking of. I mean, you got this title. You're giving me something different. I don't know how I'm going to take it. And then you watch it and you find out, well, even the original idea I had listening to the title, you know, really, you know, it actually still works. Even if you go in with the idea of, the Peter Pan Lost Boys, which, I mean, I'm just assuming, I mean, that uh, Schumacher probably named it that because of that connection. Yeah. And, and, get, and keep going, Alex. Sorry. Well, and and from what I've learned about Schumacher is that he he was one of those guys that loved putting things like that where it has different meanings. Yes. You know? And plus, in the original script, the kids were supposed to be younger, too. So they weren't written as these, you know, teenager, teenagers to late teenagers. These were supposed to be kids, like, in, like, you know, the 8 to 12 bracket originally, you know. Mm. So well, I think when they were changing and having all the, these castings, having all these good actors come in, they were like, okay, I think we're going to have to go a little older in the age. So, yeah. you know, it's just... Um, from a story standpoint, it's a solid story. Um, it's, you know, solid makeup, solid. It, it's just, it's a good fucking film. And the way I was introduced to it, I bought this actually at a, a um, in school at, at a swap meet. And our, our eighth grade teacher had a big box of tapes all unmarked. It's almost like, okay, what is it? A children's party or porn? 
And this was all <laughs> stuff that he basically directed off, you know, taped off of TV. And he said, Billy, hey, you might just like this movie. I'm like, what is it? It's like, it's called The Lost Boys. You like horror. And I'm like, well, it sounds like Peter Pan. He's like, well, it isn't. And <laughs> I bought it for like 50 cents with like a few other movies. But Lost Boys is the one that stuck out. Came home, immediately put on Lost Boys. And I was just, I was blown away. Yeah. I loved the characters, the uh, anecdotes that they had to figure out. Death by Stereo was still one of the coolest lines. Um, and it's a very quotable film. Oh, yeah. It is. Yeah. But Corey, but Corey and Corey, considering that's where they first met, you could see that these two already had a certain amount of magnetism between the two of them. And no one knew that this was going to be the beginning of you know, almost a half dozen films, you know, that they would do together after this. Because I want to say it was like the late 80s to kind of the mid-90s is when, you know, the Corys were really just, you know, banging it out in the home video market and also in, you know, the movie market as well. They hit home video perfectly. Home video was the perfect. Because I think a lot of people... Saw their stuff either on Home Depot, but I saw a lot of their stuff actually on HBO. Not when it was when in its infancy, but in a very young stage in they the were, late eighties, uh, early nineties. I feel like they were the Olsen twins of our generation. <laughs> yeah, well, they kind of were to a certain extent, just because of how they did so many different forms of media together. Whether if it was um, theatrical. Um, Direct video, um, and that those are really the two main, you know, revenues that they had, you know, working, you know, that were working for them. Yeah, but Lost Boys, you know, if you're anybody out there hasn't seen Lost Boys, definitely go check that out. It's probably one of the best of their duos. It's one of the best vampire movies. It's one of the best collaborative efforts. <laughs> uh, for sure. Next up, amazing soundtrack and a phenomenal soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Too. Cry, little sister. Thou shall not fall. Next up, nineteen eighty-eight, I believe. Yep, the the film that I think can arguably almost rival the Lost Boys and Corey films. You know what I mean? When it comes to which is the better Corey film of the two Corys, License to Drive is fucking iconic for me. I love this film so much. I love everything about it. I think it's a fucking super cool movie. Great comedy. Like a teen, as far as teenage comedies go, I think it's one of the best. It's right up there with the John Hughes movies. You know, I, I, I hold it in high regard. Um, where do you guys think about where's, where's License to Drive fall with well, you? Well, I discovered License to Drive after I saw the thing. So when I was like, hey, it's Richard Masser is the father, yeah. you know, I kind of, you know, got into it. I think a lot of these teen comedies were like one step below really turning into like the sex comedies of like the 90s with like American Pie. They weren't right there, but they were, they knew how to push buttons. And I, because I think a lot of people in my age bracket are like, wow, you know, there's a cool chick with a hot ass and there's, you know, Feldman, you know, doing his, you know, kind of goofy spiel and, and him as well. They were almost like a, you know, Abbott and Costello of a younger, of our generation. But even though they weren't, you know, those guys, 
it was a good pairing of the two where they just complimented each other. So License to Drive, they really complimented each other in that film. Yeah. I think one of the um, uh, great things about the two of them using License uh, to Drive is a perfect example where, I mean, both of them were, you know, relatively, you know, handsome young men. But if we were going to, you know, flip a coin, Corey Haim definitely was the one that was more of the um, leading. Dean Martin and 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 uh, Corey uh, Feldman was more of the Jerry Lewis. Well, yeah, Haim was definitely more of the leading man, if you will. The straight man, too. You know. Yeah. Yes. So in this one, it was a perfect, uh, perfect where they had, you know, he's the guy trying to get a license, trying to get the girl, and and all that, and. Then you got Corey Haim, uh, Corey Feldman, who was mainly, you know, the funny, you know, best friend, sidekick kind of. And the, when they're paired like that, yeah. they work perfectly together. Because, mm-hmm. if I mean, you use Abacassel as an example, but I think Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis is more of a comparable comic pairing to these two, um, two guys. Because, you know, Feldman always was more of the, you know, the jokes to the guy who's always, you know, trying to find an angle, and Co- and and Haim always came off as the young heartthrob. Yeah, and, more straight laced. Yeah, more straight laced, and I mean, uh, Matt, when we were talking to um, uh, Keith Coogan, yeah, um, uh, he was talking about Corey Haim and and told how you know he could be talking to you and you feel like you're the only person in the world because he gives you his undivided attention. And I think he also made a comment. There was a time where he saw him like go up to a girl who actually had like a boyfriend with says, Hey, you're coming with me. And she just left with him. I mean, he had that magnetism that, uh, that, that is what really made Corey Haim such a, a big thing. While, you know, Corey Feldman was more of the, you know, the jokester that, you know, the, the, the guy that's always, you know, kind of looking for an angle. And the thing is, those two kind of personas worked well together in this. Well, it, it, they combined for the ultimate dude, the ultimate guy you want to yeah. or be, the ultimate guy you want to be, probably. I know the only yeah, guy, you, can, you, the, the only yeah, one you, other guy you, I can you, think of. Yeah. I can just take a girl away from a boyfriend like that. Oh, who? Maddie Fisher? That's Alexander the Hawk, baby. <laughs> I um, wish, I wish, I wish. But yeah, you're right. I mean, they do have that. You, you, when those powers combine, uh, it's definitely a troublesome act. You know what I mean? Taking taking chicks, all types yeah. of stuff. I think some dudes. Yeah, I that, mean, bro. I mean, yeah, yeah. either the one trying. Uh, as as a guy, you either want to be a guy who was too cool for school that you know uh, could always get a girl, or a guy who's always there, you know, having fun, making the jokes, doing the the side hustle kind of deal. You know, the guy yeah. who's always on the edge, and that was uh, that was Fell Dog. You brought up the dynamic of you know the Fell Dog and, and the Hamster. I also yeah. wanted you brought up Richard as well. The rich, the dynamic between Richard and Carol Kane as the mother and father duo. Mm, in this film yeah. is like I think that's always uh, good times and worth noting here because they have great chemistry. Like I would have watched a spinoff of like their deal 
Richard gets a great face with that mustache. I love him and everything I see him and uh, we're trying to get him on the cast, uh, you know, so there's a, we're dropping in positivities in the world. Yeah, he's coming on the show soon, hopefully. Um, but we're big fans of a lot of the stuff he's done. And Carol Kane's epic in her own right, you know what I mean? She's legendary as well. I mean, she's been around forever. Yeah. And when those powers combine, whoo, we'd love to get her on the show too, by the way. But when those powers combine, it's beautiful stuff. Just as, just as dynamic. What was the last thing you saw Carol Kane in? I'm trying to think. Uh, she was Cobblepot's mom. I went to it. I was going to a joke, but I decided not to. The last <laughs> thing I've probably seen her in, man, she was in uh, I know the Princess Bride, Screw, yeah. around Screwed. that time, but she's oh, had she, done stuff more recently. Uh, yeah, she was in uh, The Dead Don't Die, that uh, Jamu. She was, yeah, she was. She yeah. was in that, that Hunters TV show with Pacino. It's on Amazon, I think. She's in there. I always thought Carol Kane was Granny in the um, Adams Family series, but it isn't. It's someone else. I always thought it was her. You'd think that. Well, yeah. She played Granny in one of the movies. I thought it was in a TV movie with Tim Curry, possibly, because she wasn't in the two. Um, she was in one of them, because it wasn't the same Granny in both of them. Oh, was uh, it? No, the, the uh, first Adams Family movie. Was yeah. uh, one actress, and I believe Adam's Family Values is the one that Carol Kane was a part of. I'm pretty sure, and I will double check. You know, the I thought she was in the one with Tim Curry. I don't know why, but yeah, maybe I'm wrong. You got the late James Avery's also in License to Drive as the uh, the DMV driver dude when he goes to get the license from like. Of course, of course, Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel Air, but of course, uh, tied to Shredder, which you know, oh. fun little fact for people out there listening. Tidbit: We got you know, we got something coming up in the future that ties Avery and Feldman together. The gigantic work that those gentlemen, a franchise those gentlemen might be a part of. Maybe we got somebody on the show that you know, maybe uh, maybe they created something like that or something like that, but. Quite possibly, you'll probably hear that before uh, you hear this episode. So I don't know why I'm being, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know. <laughs> don't be too generous, but don't forget, yeah, James Avery probably made one of the best fucking cameos in TV history in the 90s. Um, he came in at the tail end episode of Family Matters. I'll never forget. Yeah. And it's yeah. the little boy who was on the show who's playing with a little boy. He's like, you're right. Here you go. You win. It's like, he doesn't like the dad on Fresh Prince talking about Reggie Bell Johnson. And then all of a sudden, James Avery walks in and Reggie is, he can't contain himself. He just starts laughing. And he's like, he couldn't get over it because it was such an amazing cameo. And I remember this. I'm actually getting a little emotional because Avery was a very good actor. And I don't think he ever got the full appreciation that he deserved. He was a very good actor and a phenomenal voice actor as well. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, everyone will give. Uh, I mean, I think Will Smith did a great job in the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Say that, but but James Avery, in my opinion, was the best the heart part of, of the show. He no, was no. the heart. He made. I mean, the yeah. the scenes. I mean. Everyone, I mean, you I go didn't on. I like Uncle Phil. I'll be honest, but I don't think you're supposed. Uh, to. 
Well, he could anyway. be a jerk, but he was a likable jerk. Like a I, understand, jerk. I understand where you're coming from. Man. I really do. But but I mean, there's there's one episode that everyone plays on Facebook, which is probably the most touching episode where you Why have. Why didn't want me, man? Why you didn't want me? Yeah. And the thing is, yeah, that that was you know a great thing for uh, for for uh, Will, but you watch the the follow up with Avery and the ending, and the fact is, Avery helped Will make that scene with the setup and the ending. Sure, and it, I don't. If you took another actor and placed him in that role, yeah. I don't think it would have come off that good. I mean, hey, kudos to Will Smith for that scene, but I think be- Will became as good as he did because of Avery. I honestly right. believe because well, Avery was Avery- a better stage actor. And- yeah, I think Avery. Yeah, I mean, so, he was a journeyman with- actor. He was yeah. a journeyman yeah. actor, and he took it. And Smith was smart to take advice from him. Yeah. I mean, Avery, even, uh, there was a, I, I think Will even said that after that moment, you know, Avery, uh, told him, now that's, that's acting. And, and, and that was, I think Will said one of the best moments of his career was getting that, you know, you know, thumbs up from Avery because, like you said, he was a journeyman actor, a theater actor, guy who's done it all. And, like I said, I think one of the best. I mean, I I just loved him in Fresh Prince, and he was one of the reasons why I kept on watching it because he just he just brought me in. But one thing that's funny that reminds me of License to Drive, not to deviate too far. I remember whenever it played on HBO, it was usually back to back with Risky Business. Hell yeah! Heck yeah! It, it, and there's and there's that teenage element, the whole car component. Um, but license to drive, you usually would come off first. And I think, I mean, I remember license to drive actually having a really good soundtrack, a really good '80s soundtrack for its time. And um, yeah, it's it's just a a fun, you know, like. And the trailers were hysterical. It's like, and here's the story of a, co- a coming of age film. And it would usually be like License to Drive or Dream a Little Dream, you know, because they always had interesting trailers from what I remember as well. It's a good time. So anybody out there that hasn't seen License to Drive, definitely go check that out. You know, Haim plays <laughs> a kid going for his license. It's teenage angst, you know, the biggest moment in teenager's life. He gets his license and the freedom to cruise around. He sets a date with a girl. He doesn't get his license, so he has to lie to his parents and say that he does, sneak out with the car, pick up the girl, and uh, go out have a fun night together and then get home safely. It's one of those type of movies, and it doesn't quite work out as he would hope it would. One of those types of flicks, but a uh, very good comedy, I think, you know? Okay. Remember, right. a guy will do anything to get the girl. That's very true. That's very true. And I, I, I was sure to remember, yeah. It was Heather Graham who was the, the girl in there. Mercedes, yep. That was her Heather Graham. You got that right. Heather Graham, yeah. Very young Heather Graham. You know, went on to a very good career. Austin Powers, the second one. Um, and basically, you know, with uh, Boogie Nights, that was a big role for her as well. You know, she's been around for a while. 
That was a big one for him. That was, we call that a humdinger. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, Dinger, of course, is the name of Corey Haim and Dream a Little Dream. Okay. That's mm-hmm. how we do it. Uh, Dream a Little Dream. It, it's, you know, it, it was kind of the first, I don't think it lived up to the other two, the, the, those first two in magnitude, but it was fun in itself. You know, an accident puts the consciousness of an elderly dream researcher into, into the body of a bratty teenager. The problem the kid prefers dream world limbo to be real. So this was a dream. Cool dream was a fun little series. It's a creative story too. I always liked how creative it was. It's like more than your typical, just, you know, the Feldman, the, the Feldman Amster kind of got into like a, a stoner comedy type vibe. But like, I felt that this had, this had a little more meat to it. Story wise, you know, they're a little, they go wacky. It's kind of like you'll see their films go super duper wacky, but this was kind of like when they first started to uh, get the wobble of wackiness to them. You know, eventually it became so wobbly that the wheel, the fucking wheel fell off. But this is probably the first beginning of wobble coming to. And, and, and this was like the film that they were really working with. This was like, big. This was a big deal for him. Big town. His, I mean, Dream Little Dream, fuck, Jason Robards, Piper Laurie. Harry Dean Stanton. I mean, it's an amazing secondary cast. Yeah. It's true, man. It's true. Hawkman, what do you you think about Dream a Little Dream? You know, I also like to say that we got a degree of separation with it. The great Alex Rocco was a part of Dream a Little Dream, man. You know, it was Gus Keller. We worked with Alex Rocco on, all three of us worked with on the House Across the Street project, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Dream Little Dream. I mean, it was a fun one. Uh, definitely think License to Drive was a lot better than this one. Yeah. Um, uh, it was enjoyable. Um, I think it, it kind of, I mean, it focuses mo- mostly on the Corey uh, Feldman character. And yeah. it's kind of, and, and Haim was more of a secondary, you know, you know, kind of the, the sidekick to the Corey Haim character, kind of. Yeah. Um, that formula didn't work. Like this isn't as big. That, as that, that, yeah, that's why I don't think it worked as well. I, it was enjoyable, but I don't think it, because um, I really think, like I said before, with License to Drive, when you had uh, Corey Haim as kind of the lead heartthrob character, and then Corey Feldman as the side, you know, funny uh, friend character, that worked better. That's why I think Dream Little Dream just. For me, just didn't work as well because I think they should have reversed the roles. I mean, well, I think they were trying to alternate each film almost. Probably, they probably didn't want to do something like that. They probably didn't want to do even as actors. And he was an actor. You could probably understand that after a while, they'd probably go. Can we? They get enough power to go. Can we just flip this up, guys? I mean, we could. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, and they probably did that when they, you know, were handed the script. But the fact is, also being a good actor, you have to know where your strengths lie. And uh, in my opinion, I mean, I think their strengths lie better in the other um, way of doing the roles than in this way of doing the roles. Yeah, I mean, I think they're talented, but I mean, and. Like I said, I just felt that it was a little off because of them being in those roles instead of switched. Yeah. Um, 
Feldog style started to heavily influence his. I think his. I think he, he was bringing more of his style into the films. You know, this is the, I think Dream a Little Dream is definitely when they realize that they have power type deal. You know what I mean? A little bit. And I, I, well, I think Dream a little dream. For better or worse, I think there's good, good and bad uh, effects of that power at play with this film. Yeah, because uh, Dream a Little Dream. I have a list of movies, basically, that, you know, it's like the ones I bought, upcoming ones, and Dream a Little Dream is actually on the upcoming ones because it was made into a special edition from Best Round Video. Yeah. Um, so there actually is a, a really good uh, Blu-ray that has some pretty damn good bonus features. So there is actually a good Blu-ray release of Dream a Little Dream. Hmm. I support that. Uh, like I said, I always like, I like it. I don't hate it. I think it's middle of the road. Like I think Lost Boys, like I put films in different tiers and I, I music, all type of stuff. I put them in tiers and those first two Corey movies, I think are just legendary. It, it's a great argument. We could put a whole episode into arguing over which one's better, but I do think that Dream a Little Dream was kind of a, a, a the first kind of departure from the good side of things and it's not you know it's 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 better than a lot of the films we're gonna you know we're gonna get into you know in the, in the tale of things but still i think it's not as good as those first two it has its moments of course it does have the it, it's definitely the quarries are becoming the quarries a duo um at this point i actually like dream a little dream more than the langoliers <laughs> that's because you take uh, that, all that mar- you just did a trash bag full of marijuana hit before you said that that's why that's why you think something like that a hey. trash bag or a marijuana hit I want a t-shirt that says that a trash bag of marijuana hit hey, I hey. like um, I get a tattoo Langoliers, Langoliers get a tattoo. Is, is a classic get a tattoo will last longer Langoliers. Yeah, I'll get, a, I'll, get a, I'll get a tattoo of a Langolier right here. <laughs> Langoliers is you better be careful of when you die. You'll be strapped in, and the only thing they'll play in your head is the Langoliers over and over and over and over. Well, listen, if I'm going out, why not get taken out by meatballs? But let's get back to Dream a Little Dream here. <laughs> dream a Little Dream, baby. Bloody boots, bloody brains, and guts all over boots. Uh, I'm going to say that for as you folks out there journey into it. Dream a little dream can probably be seen uh, anywhere. It's it's one of those. It's on Tubi. Tubi's got it. That freebie I think has it. I I I, I went on Tubi to watch it, but uh, for some reason they wouldn't allow me to. I don't know. It, it's it says it's on it, but it won't allow it let me to play it. So pretty positive freebie. Freebie has it too, which I think is like a free TV type vibe. Mm. I mean, I love that there's more streaming sites coming out. Kind of just opens up the door, really, yeah. for di- di- for dis- for distribution. Hey, hey, I'm the only one. Are you gonna say it, Hawk? Well, I I was going to say that I'm waiting for the uh, ultimate streaming package where you get you know Netflix, Disney, you know, all, all HBO, everything connected because. At this point, you you're ending up spending up you know oodles of money for all these different streaming sites, and sooner or later they got to find a way to, you know, 
combine them because, you know, not everyone's going to be able to do all these multiple streaming sites because the money adds up. Well, and that's on top of cable. There's only one streaming site that matters, and that's Boombastic Streaming on the Patreon service. Yeah, that's true. Uh, go go now but, and find out we're talking about it. Patreon.com slash Boombastic Streaming with two O's. That was I got blown away by that boom. Uh, blown away is the next film by the Corys. You know what I mean? With Nicole. Nice Adams. segue. Nice. I like Thank you that, very man. much. Thank you very much. Nice step on. Nice. You stepped on my what I was talking about. That was pretty good too. <laughs> Nicole Eggert, gorgeous in this film. Nicole Eggert is one of those. There's a couple times in in, in the careers of uh, actresses that they've been photographed just so perfectly that you go, wow. You know what I mean? I know the Girl Next Door movie with. Uh, Alicia Cuthbert. Cuthbert, yeah. She is like, wow, you know what I mean? And uh, this is one of those times for Nicole. You know, I think I think her and Corey had a relationship at this time, the hamster. Um, you know what I mean? Which is a good thing because I would have had a relationship with the hamster at this time too. So I'm not giving her no hot times. Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. Maybe at Rock and Shock there was relationship, and it broke my heart, dude. And I just don't like talking about it. I like to erase that from my mind that that never happened. But if it happened, everything was consensual. I I I, I wasn't attacked. He wasn't attacked. It was fair play. <laughs> it was fair play on everybody's part. Uh, if it happened, you know what I mean. Well, one of the ways. What, what 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 you can say is that uh, Matt's been blown away by Corey Feldman. You're going to hell for that, Alex. Huh? Yeah. Well, it, it, on, on top of that, blown well, I would away tell everybody if I was. Don't worry. It's so strange is how this movie is also described as an erotic thriller, and I can kind of see that, um, but it really didn't have. Have like the gravitas of like the erotic thrillers that were also out, like say like on Skinamax, you know, in the early nineties. Yeah, those were a little more pushing the boundaries, but <clears throat> Blown Away really didn't feel like the erotic. I mean, yeah, it, it had its moments, but it didn't feel as. But it's probably because of you know the rating system, I would imagine. Yeah, it's an interesting movie in that sense because yeah. they're kind of like trying to go. They're trying to go in a darker, more realistic direction, and I just don't think that's the type of film that the Corey should be making. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was a, it was a real different departure, you know, than the usual stuff that they were doing. You know, I think they were trying to be a little more darker and mainstream, and I applaud them for that. But it feels like an experiment that, I mean, it. it we all seen it the is a movie, but it, it felt like an experimental movie. It, it feels like they were stepping out of their comfort zone. Well, we all know. see the after effects of this when the movies are released. Like, I guess you'd have to put your head in the mindset of being in a Corey and Corey boardroom meeting development deal, being like, "Well, you two guys are fucking huge right now. People are loving it. What, what, what should be the next Corey and Corey thing? You've done a bunch of comedies. You guys want to try an action movie? You know what I mean?" And they go. Yeah, we'll be action stars. They're like, fuck yeah, we want to be action stars. And uh, I think that's how a movie like this comes about. Because I think that in the last, I think in the previous film, Dream a Little Dream, I think they're starting to get more creative control. And Dream a Little Dream was successful, I believe. I'm pretty sure it was successful. 
Blown Away might be the first one that didn't really quite live up to it. And it's kind of a, they took quite a gamble when you think about it because they had that great comedic duo thing that worked great for them. And then in Dream a Little Dream, they strayed away where they flipped the characters. And now in the next follow up, they strayed away where they, they almost kind of kept the characters the way it originally should have been, but they flipped the genre. So it was like they, were, yeah. they should have tried to go, but they should have almost went back to the comedic wheelhouse, which they do. But I think uh, I'd be curious to see how close these films were kind of made back to back. You know, we got 1993 is when Blown Away came into the picture. You know what I mean? And before that, Dream a Little Dream was 89. So right there's a decent amount of years, especially when you think of Lost Boys was 87, License to Drive, 88, Dream a Little Dream, 89. And they, there's a break, a little bit of a break before Blown Away. And it's, it's you know... You could easily say, I think, that those first three movies are their most famous, uh, for sure. But Blown Away, yeah, I don't know, man. Blown Away didn't blow me away, let's just say that. You know? Heck yeah. It's just one of those things, man. One of those Uh, things that I would probably get, if I ever did meet Feldman, I'd probably get a theatrical poster of that movie and say, here, sign this. And, you know, the idea, you know, Frame Out there doesn't know what we're talking about with a more dramatic theme to it. The, the plot to it is a teenage beauty, which is Nicole Edgar, tries to convince her new boyfriend, the hamster, that her father murdered her mother and that he should die, too. That's some heavy material for the hamster. Yeah, you know what I mean? Think about it. Nah, that's definitely some heavy material. Um I, I applaud that heavy material and it makes me smile just to kind of think of it in the way of the jump, the reaches and the jumps that they've kind of, well, we'll do this next. We'll do that next. It's like, well, this didn't work. So we'll flip it back, but we want to change this part. Uh, very, very fun. Very fun stuff. You know what I mean? Brenter Spencer, Brenter, Brenton Spencer directed it, you know, the substitute, uh, was something he was known for in some television. He did a lot of television stuff. So, uh, you know, it's you know, it's interesting. It's an interesting vibe. A lot of crossovers. I think there was a lot of crossover of TV directors and film directors mashing up. But uh, so, you guys have anything to say about Blown Away? Were you guys blown away by Blown Away in 1993? I wanted to be. But I was not exploded as much as I wanted to be. What's the What's the bomb movie they made in Massachusetts with uh, Was it Jeff? Uh, Blown away with, with uh, Tom Charlie Jones. It was same name. I know. Oh, that's okay, I thought it, I could have sworn it was way better. It was that. way better. No, story. way better. I remember. Yeah. See the thing. I yeah. remember growing up in the city when at the end of that movie when they blew up that. Uh, you know, boat that was in the harbor. Yeah. The charge on that was so substantial. It blew out a lot of windows actually in the, um, in, in Eastie. Yeah. So, you know, the production company had to replace all, they paid for all those windows. But I, I'm a big fan of that movie, blown away. A good flick. Um, yeah. Good flick. Tom, that's one of the first times I really discovered. Who Tommy Lee Jones was at a young age. That was a good move because Tommy Lee Jones is good times. Alex, do you remember Blown Away? Did you have any uh, history with that film? No, I actually got to say that's one that totally I totally missed. I mean, 
I the only blown away I knew of was the Tom Lee Jones one. Yeah. So yeah, unfortunately that one kind of uh went past uh under my radar. And I think that one was like ninety four and we're talking about the one from ninety three with both Corey and Corey if memory serves correct. Yeah. We are, yeah. Um they, they were in they were in the Tommy Lee Jones one, just deleted scenes. <laughs> One of those. Yeah, yeah, they were on the boat. They were on the boat that blew up. Right. Tommy Lee Jones was dancing to you too. Well, basically, you know, fell dog and the hames care. Like, okay, we need to start snipping these things. And hey, it's like, man. Yeah. Which one Jeff Bridges nice comes movie? in. Hey, man, get out of here. This is my movie. This is 1994. This is, no, no. Go back to your little independent film. Yeah. Well, next up for me, National Lampoons took an investment and uh, took a, took a chance with the Corys. Yeah, with Last Resort, uh, Hawkman, yeah. you sound like you're a hater over there. What's up? Um, I, I, first of all, I, 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 I started watching it, and it was one of those movies I had a hard time getting through. Yeah, I don't think I totally went through it. Um. My biggest problems with it were both that, you know how I was saying that they had a good dynamic and license to drive? Yeah. Because um, in this one, first of all, instead of having one as the straight man, one as the comic, whether it's, you know, Corey, uh, or, uh, 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 Corey Feldman or Corey Haim, in each roles or switching, whatever, in this one... It seemed that both of them were going for the comic role at the same time, so there yeah. wasn't a, a a a a you know there wasn't one who was more of the straight laced. I mean, you had Corey Feldman who literally was trying to be a young Michael Jackson in the movie. Well, that's not the first okay. time he's tried that. I know, but it was very heavy in this movie, and you had. Uh, I remember Corey Haim had some like weird stuff on his his head. He was trying to be funny or or something well, like that. Safari, if memory serves correct, he was trying to do something like that. Could like be company, yeah. But but I mean, the thing is, it just it just it just fell flat for me. Yeah, I mean, I can all right. I mean, right. other than having some extremely hot women in it, um. That's all the movie needs for Alex Hawk's approval. That's that's uh, honestly that was the I mean I I there was a point there was a a, a section where you have Corey Feldman is like dreaming of this girl on the beach and he's like going in between you know his his dream world and and reality and he's yeah. dressed like a young Michael Jackson and the girl in that was smoking, but. Wow. It yeah. everything else was so tone deaf, so you know, kind of like, eh, that even that couldn't save it. Well, I almost forgot. Zelda Rubenstein is in this movie. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna chime in to protect the film. I really, uh, and I understand it's a bad movie, but I really like Last Resort. Uh, I like the I like the vibe of them both being the the, the funny guy. I like that dynamic. I like the weirdness of this movie a lot. Uh, Feldman, quite possibly my favorite wardrobe selection of Feldman's. Like I I've often said before, if I was a thinner dude, there's certain outfits I'd wear uh, that I would have in my closet for special days. 
And the way that Feldman dresses in this movie, where it's like this weird blues brothery vibe, you know, I remember yeah. when, like it, no, it was Michael Jackson, dude. It was pure Michael Jackson. And dude, there ain't nothing. As long as you're not doing what MJ was accused of, then uh, then every, all's well. Outside of the things he was accused of, MJ was fucking the king, dude. Like the only I used- the tarnish of what he of of being accused of the pedophile stuff. I don't know if he did it or not, but the tarnish of that. Is why you would go, oh, bad Michael Jackson. But like, without that shit, you would want to be MJ because MJ was fucking the man. He's like the Alexander Hawk of pop music, dude. You know what I mean? I don't know about that, man. I know. I know. I used used to confuse this movie all the time with, um, I think it was called Paradise Island. Yeah, Paradise. Yeah. Uh, and I, Clark, the one Clark, where Clark, you, Clark, I think it's Eugene Levy. I think is thinking of you're thinking of Club Paradise. Is that what it, Club Paradise? Robin yeah. Williams was also in it. I think. Yeah, yeah. I used to confuse this fucking movie, Last Resort, always with that one for some crazy reason. And I remember, I remember this particular movie. And you're right. I remember. The movie was not soy is the best way to describe yeah, I, it. I love the, there's like very weird editing cues where it's like, do, do, do it, like choppy, which was like, people weren't really doing that. It's, it's definitely last resort's a movie. If I want to, it felt, it felt like it wanted to be freaked. That's kind of how I felt. A little bit. It wanted to be like, an, it wanted to almost have an Alex Winters vibe to it. It didn't get there, but that's how I felt. The plot's so weird how they're mixed up with, like, pirates and stuff. I really like this movie. It's super cheese. I would probably put this... Uh, I would put this before before Dream a Little Dream, actually. It would probably go this and then Dream a Little Dream. I have a special affection for this movie. Uh, it just could be a... I understand it's cheesy and bad. It's really... Like, there's parts of it that are really bad, but there's parts that really I love, you know what I mean? It's one of those movies. Um so I definitely get down with it. I can't hate on it. Billy, what's your take? I mean, we know Hawk likes I actually love this movie as well. Personally, I would have to put this as my number two behind The Lost Boys. Well, uh, all right. Yeah, because it's just so nuts. And it's entertaining as fuck from what I, I can remember. Crazy. And I just, I remember this movie. It played a lot on TV. I saw primarily a lot of these movies, not as rentals, but as actually on TV. I met like Ian Down Cape Cod in the summertime. Yeah. I remember these played a lot. Last Resort was a real fun movie. I like it a lot. And, uh, I, I, and I almost forgot about it. I need to find it on DVD or VHS or something. And I'm sure it's available somewhere. But I wouldn't mind getting uh, an actual copy of this movie. The dude who directed it's like one of those unique uh, avant-garde type of directors, Rafael Zelinsky, I believe his name is, and he's just kind of yeah, no, he's very avant-garde, really fun. interesting um, stuff. That's why the film's so interesting. Like Last Resort is yeah, like it's visually bizarre. It's like a William Burroughs, like uh, kind of has like a little bit. I guess I shouldn't even go down that road. I was going to say it has like the zaniness of like a naked lunch, but like more surreal, 
a lot of bright colors, very 90s with the Corys thrown into it. I always thought of it kind of like a Fellini-esque kind of... Very um, Fellini-esque, especially with the... Yeah, like like the Fellini comedy. I feel like this movie, that's what they were trying to do, trying to do like a Fellini... Because it's very abstract if you think about it. Really, it it very possibly could have been a Corey movie directed by Fellini under a different name, you know. There you go. (laughs) Imagine that world. I mean, this was, I think, the Corey's... This was really the Corey's experimental film. Yeah. Well, I get down with that. You know what I mean? But I like it. I think they hit the... It's probably one of their most argued over film of whether it's trash or good. You know what I mean? And we had that here today on the Boombastic cast for Hawk thinks it's a pile of dog <laughs> shit. And we, we love it. Hey, I didn't say that. I just said that I just didn't think it works. I'm, me and the new co If you like it, that's great. I mean... Uh-oh, uh-oh. You know what? Now, now I have some ammo. That caught is next time Alex. Next time Alex wants to torture a special someone uh, where he likes to remind them of uh, Return of Salem's Lost, I think oh. I'm going to just say to Hawk, last resort, buddy. Last hey, resort. Hey, hey, I'll, hey, hey. I'll watch Last Resort if, if James Lamont wants uh, Return to Salem's Lost. We did. Why you didn't watch last week? I mean, you didn't watch last. Are you telling us you didn't watch the film that you're bashing the fuck out? No, I did watch. Yes, I did watch the movie. You're clubbing this movie over the head with a mallet, and you've never even watched it. I know, and and we have. And me and Maddie have nothing but love. I mean, Billy, it's one thing. What what I'm saying is, I haven't seen it for a while. I haven't seen it for a while, but I'm willing to watch it again if James Lamont watched Return to Salem's Slot again. Since, you know, you, you brought it up, Billy, if you want to, want, want to go down. I mean, not, not going to enjoy it, but I'll watch it again. Oh, I know. James listens to the show, I believe. So if you're listening, James, the ball's in your court. <laughs> Do Take one for the team again. I guess you're going to watch the movie again, and then Alex will watch Last Resort. But... So, you know, Dream a Little Dream 2 was the next film. You know, equally, uh, I remember it being right up there with the first one, even though I wasn't a huge fan of the first one, you know what I mean? Um, It neither. To me, the second one was screamingly Michael Jackson. Feldman was his Jackson esque on Dream a Little Dream 2, personally. Yeah, well, he goes, he leans into it harder. Uh, the, the plot to it, Dinger and Bobby's adventures start when a pair of magical sunglasses arrive at the door. Their mundane lives in L.A. get crazy twists, but soon enough, they've got thugs on their trail who want to v- the valuable pair for themselves. Under hot pursuit and one crazy antic after another, as the troublesome twosome scramble to keep their hot commodity out of the wrong hands. <laughs> Like, I, I appreciate the zaniness of the Dream a Little Dream. Like I, like I said at the first one, I appreciate the creativeness that they were going out of the norm of it. And I appreciate this, even though it's just a comedy version of They Live, I think. You know what I mean? But I do appreciate the, the places they go with it. And it's possible that this one, you see, both movies I own, VHS, watch. This one I didn't see more than once. Maybe the first one, maybe twice. Love the quarries, just don't, for some reason, Dream of Little Dreams never really sat with me like they do with other people. 
Um, but I should give them like Alex Og. I didn't give. I, I don't. I think Dream a Little Dream and Dream a Little Dream Two were the ones I didn't give another watch to because I didn't remember them being fantabulous. You know what I mean? Uh, Last Resort got a nice watch. You know what I mean? And some stuff that I caught for the first time. But uh, yeah, Dream a Little Dream Two. You guys want to say anything else about it? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, not really. We're all wrapped up on it. Yeah. All right. Well. What can you do? Dream a dream a dream. Two. Rock and roll style. So next up after Selman was really getting down those Michael Jackson moves. I'll give him that much. He he says that he learned uh they learned to dance at the same time. He didn't take it from MJ. They were both learning to dance at the same time. I mean no, no doubt Michael was an amazing performer and singer and dancer. And I think it's really interesting how Feldman just kind of, he kind of kept his uh, spirit alive, you know, almost from like a different generation standpoint. So, you know, a lot of people, I mean, I like Feldman. I really do. And I, I think they're just really interesting people that just, you know, grew up in this business. And I think for the output of work that they've done together really shows that they, they have, Good chemistry, no matter what the story is. But bad math. Good chemistry, but bad math. You just got busted. busted. The next film we're going to talk about is the Corey Haim, Corey Feldman film, Busted, which is on Tubi. And I will have to say that this is one that I didn't see. Um, I This is the one, the one movie that I, I didn't see ahead of time going in. I had to check out. And I thought, you know, very middle of the road, you know, definitely I think um, probably the last time the Corys kind of, last time they kind of appeared as in anything that was kind of driven for this, those two, you know what I mean? It's kind of like a, they're going for a raunchy or police academy type vibe. Yeah. Um, sometimes it works. A lot of the time it didn't, but like as I get older and being a, a a child, you know, growing up in the nineties, you know, a little bit, like I, I'm a little lenient on those films and stuff like that. And I love the Corey's Corey Haim. I seen, I watched it after Corey Haim already passed. So like it can't be as hard on him kind of at that point, you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, I didn't hate it as much as, uh, I, to be honest with you, I thought I was going to like it more because I usually like those weird, like Night Patrol and those weird, like almost like cop movie, cop comedies that not, they're not Police Academy, but like, uh, cause when you think of cop comedies, Police Academy is the film you automatically think of, but like there's other smaller ones in the cut. You know what I mean? Busted like is Blue new from uh, Blue Streak. Correct. You know, or some of those other kind of lesser known Blue li- later, but yeah, definitely. And I like Blue Streak. Yeah. I like that one too. Martin Lawrence is the man. He'll be on the show soon. But uh, did you guys get a chance to check out Busted? Um, I I saw it way back when. I haven't seen it recently. Um, from my memory of it, it was enjoyable. I I enjoyed it, but uh, it wasn't. It definitely didn't. A lot of it didn't stay with me. It was kind of um, a fun thing to watch on TV. And it was great seeing Corey Haim and Corey Feldman together again. Yeah. But 
it didn't leave an impression. I guess is 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 what I I can say about about the film. It was it was enjoyable enough, but I really it really didn't touch me one way or the other. Uh, not like Dream Little Dream or you know a License to Drive. I mean, even Last Resort, I had distinct feelings. It was of the negative variety. But with Busted, it was kind of like, uh, kind of lukewarm for me when I watched it. You know, I want to do another tie. You know, Julie Strain was in this film, Rest in Peace. You know what I mean? That that teaser that we talked about earlier is uh, right. It should be out now. Uh, go check out the Boombasticast interview with Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, that that's flowing out there already, I'm sure, because uh, this will be released much later. And um, but Julie Strain, you know, uh, I believe they were married at one point. You know what I mean? And uh, rest in peace. She was, you know, for in the underground horror scene. You know, in the the, the, the horror film scene, she was uh, horror fans love her. You know, and she was great. Rest in peace to her. Another horror thing I wanted to bring up to Bill Clinton. I mean, I, I know, huh? I, I was going to say how Julie. Julie uh was such a Amazonian beauty, you know, t- tall woman. Yeah. And she was a very mo- and she was a model, I believe. And, 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 and the, the work that she would, she did, memory serves correct, for the heavy metal magazines were some of the most amazing pieces of art I've ever seen. And yeah. it was Julie who actually modeled for them, if memory serves correct. And yeah. I, I don't know if it was, Kevin Eastman, who was actually illustrating those, or I had a hand in that because he was I think the they editor, were, and they, they were publisher. married at one point. He was the editor and publisher, and I believe that's how they met. Yeah. Now the the horror thing I had for you is Joey from A New Beginning, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, A New Beginning by Dominic. Yes, it is Dominic Brashala or something like that. Yep. Brashia. I. Yeah. Yeah, you got you look very unhappy already. So I'm gonna tell there's so there's there was speculation, uh, two speculations. One was that that gentleman or gentle monster, as they speculate, was uh, accused of doing some foul stuff with children. And I guess the speculation on this uh, on this project, maybe not on this project, but in the past, that uh, that Dominic dude actually did stuff to Corey Haim. Well, this was the uh, second or third time production-wise that Dominic was affiliated with working with Corey's. Yeah, it's a weird. It's almost like it's a a weird situation, and I really don't know how how to talk about this without getting sued. So the Feldman situation, the way Feldman always puts it, is everybody's kind. When that stuff was going on, every it was like. People, it was kind of like all their friends and peers, and it was almost normalized. So, like, it wasn't later. It they they looked back and were like, that was like a bogus deal. But like at the time, it almost just kind of was what it was type deal. You know what I mean? So, like the fact that you would see, you know, some of the people doing it tied up with the people that their accusers. You know what I mean? It's not out of the norm. You know what I mean? Like they were there around each other. There was a psychological craziness to it. Where like, yeah, they thought there was there was like a good relationship there, even though it was like a toxic deal. But yeah, I remember hearing that rumor, and I I know you're a big horror fan, so I, and I know I remember there was a tie back to somebody on the Friday the Thirteenth. 
franchise. Yeah, because he was he was Joey. He's he's the one who gets axed in part five. He's Roy's son. The candy bar. Yeah. Yeah, the candy bar scene. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I mean, I know his face. You know, I mean, I've read about him. Um, But yeah, he uh, you know also tied in with uh, a number of folks, you know, that work with, with different, you know, different companies. Um, Fel Diesel, Fel Diesel also directed this one. So like when I say that, that, you know, how they were tied in together, it's not just they were casted actors in the film together. Feldman was involved with the hiring of this person. And it could possibly be that the dude was like, he had a face that was kind of known at the time, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like he's a friend connection you can get into the for, into the film for cheap money or whatever. Uh, but then you also have like the, the 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 backside to it. I guess Feldman like quit the film once supposedly because of he wasn't feeling comfortable around that. So there's speculation. There's that, and there's also speculation that Feldman had to fire Haim at one point because he wasn't. Uh, you know, he was like not, you know, he was under the influence, I believe, um, and not not operating the way he should. Plus, uh, you know, also in Busted, I just almost forgot. Um, you know, we also have Devin DeVasquez. Uh, she was a Playboy model. She was also in House Two. She yeah. was the uh, the high priestess that was going to get sacrificed. You have uh, Monique Paré. Um, who is a beautiful woman. She has done a, been around a very long time to worked with, uh, Fred Olin Ray and, um, Jim Wynorski. Yeah. Um, and so has Julie Rance Howard. Come on. You have, you know, the father, you know, and he's, you know, had a legendary career as a cowboy. Yeah. Elliot, Elliot Gould. I mean, Elliot Gould you know, classic. Don't make me all... rip my shirt here. Like in American History X. <laughs> Whenever I think of Elliot Gould, I, Elliot, he, Elliot Gould had like a crazy great career in like the 60s and 70s and 80s. But whenever I think of Elliot Gould, I always think of that one scene in American History X when he rips his shirt open and he goes, that means you're not welcome here. And it's just been like burned into my brain because it's such an intense moment. You know what I mean? But Elliot well, Gould, Gould has a great career, but for whatever an reason, amazing career, and he's a very intense actor. I dude, mean, well, that moment, dude, that scene is one of the most intense moments I oh. think of racial, or not racial, but like uh, uh, anti anti Semitic stuff, anti anti Semiticism. Well, uh, it's a powerful film, no matter how you cut it. It's a very powerful film. The director wanted his name pulled off of that, which is kind of crazy. You think of like how impactful, and the movie's a really great movie. I'd say it's a masterpiece for what they were going for. I, I can't say what they were going for because the director is not a fan of it. But I think, I don't know why he's not a fan of it. Cause I think it was pretty ex- executed pretty well, but that's his, his cross to bear, I guess. But yeah, Elliot Gould, classic. He was in here do, killing it. Game show host. He was born to play a game show host. You know what else he was born to play, but he didn't get a chance to play? Anthony Bourdain. What do you think of that? Yeah, he would have been a really good Bourdain. That's what I always said. But yeah, busted, kind of busted, I think. think But it's it's a good cast. It's actually a real good cast. It is a good cast, but it goes to show you, you you know, that that won't save it all the time. Yeah. But Feldog tried, and he, he directed it. You know what I mean? It's very, uh, I think Feldog might have been having too much fun at the time himself. 
uh, around that time. But next up after that, of course, you go into the world of, you know, that was kind of the last of them getting really starring roles in it. They did a TV thing called Big Wolf on Campus, which I never kind of seen. Dickie Roberts, former child star. They had cameos in it. You know what I mean? Much like a lot of child stars did. They did. They were in Robot Chicken together, but, you know, that's a quick deal. The Tale of Two Corys. I love, when that was on, I used to watch that. I loved it because I've always been a big fan of the Corys and seeing the dirt. That was like when VH1 was heavy in like the dirt era or their deal. You guys ever yeah, watched but- the deal? I remember because th- that wasn't around the same time. I think like Hogan Knows Best was on VH1. Yeah. Um, and, and that was, no, I mean, uh, the surreal life, surreal life. I enjoyed the documentary, you know, I mean, I the, so. the show. I really hope so. Um, I thought it was entertaining. Yeah. Um, you definitely felt sorry in certain, you know, situations when certain sto- stories were being told um you know i mean the show had some depth to it and i thought yeah. it was interesting what was going to happen next but i don't i think they only did like one or two seasons so i i think it might have only been one season possibly maybe two but i think you know there was um you know i support it was good i'm surprised it's nowhere to watch now because it's a lot of fun and i'm sure cory feldog probably owns it so i'm sure that uh it could be acquired somewhere. Yeah, well, he definitely was a producer on it. Well, he was the last, you know, and the next thing, of course, he was a producer on too, I think. The lot when they, they were trying to bring the Lost Boys back forever. And it's funny, I remember at one point he was on the show, he was like, because towards the end of the show, they started developing, oh, we got a new Lost Boys movie coming. That was the thing. And he was like, if Joel Schumacher doesn't direct it, I want nothing to do with it. And then obviously Joel Schumacher didn't direct it, but I think he produced and started. Um, the tribe, uh, you know, there was the tribe and the thirst. The thirst was like the, like club rave vampires, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, but the tribe, I remember had Savini in the beginning, had a cameo. And I remember one of them was actually decent and one of them was like really bad. And I'm trying to, was it the one with, have you guys seen him? The one with Savini is not wasn't as bad. I don't think as the other one. If right, memory right. Is one correct. of them was surprisingly good. Was yeah, uh, the tribe had its moments. Um, it, it wasn't that bad, and and this was around the same time they were actually trying to get more scripts for possibly the Lost Girls. Yeah. So you know they were kind of in the vein of the Lost Boys still before trying to you know change up the franchise. But and those were direct to video. Um, now when you have directed video, you don't have this usually the same budget as probably what they had before when they were being yeah. distributed through you know, Warner Brothers. So yeah. that's always a tough nut to crack, uh, you know, especially when it comes to having limited funds. Um, I mean, if you're lucky, you might be able to get someone, you know, for a cameo, um, for like a half a day or even a full day. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they don't want to pay any more than they have to. So the cameos, memory serves correct. They were isolated. They were different. I think one was after the end credit sequence. Yeah, the Haim cameos after the end credit. Supposedly he was on it. He was like not in a good place from what I heard through the grapevine. But yeah, his was at the end credits. There's like a scene of like Feldman at a beach or something and Haim shows up. But Haim's been bit. So he's a vampire now. 
and uh, they don't care. He doesn't. Try, they don't try to kill each other, but they have like a converse. They have like a catching up conversation, and it's one of it's kind of metaphorical for drugs in a way because Hank kind of, like, I'm trying to remember because so I, fucked I'm up and Feldman supposedly cleaned up. If Jamie Newlander was in both of those, or if he was only in one of those, the other Frog Brother, the other Frog Brother, I think I he think, was. I think he was in one of them. He was on the uh, show too. He's close with Feldman, so it's possible that he was in both movies. You know, he was definitely in both movies because the third one was more of a Frog Brothers movie, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think he had he was definitely unless they replaced him, which would be bogus. That's yeah, that would be bogus. But I mean, the Frog Brothers, I think, were really interesting characters because I'm I've great. I, I I would want to see more of them. And good yeah, for a comic book. Or a video game. I don't. Th- I think that I don't think they need a movie yet at this point. But I can see them doing something with those. Yeah, characters. almost like if you have the frog, like in a different universe, you have the Frog Brothers, and you had, you know, Hain R.I.P. He was yeah. still alive. You know, to almost see like an exploits of adventures they could go on because you know they were so interesting. The three of them together between those two having the chemistry they had, the you know you you, you can't deny the longevity. That they had because you know it was close to a decade, you know, when they were making these movies together, and they figured out a formula that worked for them. Is that that's the only way I can really put it? And they struck gold because you know they did really well for themselves, you know, at one point. And you know, stars rise, stars fall, but no matter what, there were stars at one point, and you know, and they command that respect. So, you know, I have nothing but respect for both, you know, Haim, R.A.P., and Feldman. I agree with that. Yeah, you know, people bash on the, on, on Feldog, and, I'll, and I, you know, I, trying, I don't. He's, he, he's trying his best to stay afloat, and I applaud him for that. You know, and, and, and he struggles. We all have struggles. And, you know, I think Feldman, you know, is a good dude at the end of the day. And I want nothing but the best for him. So if you're listening, Corey and Corey's people, we still got love, brother. We want, we still want you on the show. Let's do it. So, Alex, what do you think about? Did you check out this this Lost Boys sequel? Um, I I I watched it. I mean, it was. I mean, when when you're watching the sequel to something as good as the Lost Boys, it's never going to be as good as. Um, I thought it was okay. Yeah. Uh, but it's not one that I would go back and rewatch. Um, I, and also when you're doing sequels that are like so, uh, belated from yeah. the original. I agree with that. Um, yeah. Put it this way. I did not have high expectations and it, it did well enough for my expectations. Yeah. Uh, it didn't go below my expectations, but it didn't surpass it. I guess is what what I I would say on that one. If, if and, yeah, yeah, and if they had um more of the Corys, it might have been a little bit better. But uh, like I said, I honestly I think probably the end credit thing was the best part of the film for me. Would have been better, more of them, but like I think that's yeah. all you get from them. I remember my expectations were like met almost because like 
I knew it was coming, but I had like no expectation of them doing a good job with it. Really, I was. It would be nice to see some of those characters on screen again, but I had no faith that I was going to get a good movie out of it. And I want to say the yeah. first sequel was actually pretty decent. Third one, I think, was lacking. Um, but I'd have to realistically watch them again because both of those I literally rented when they came out, watched them once, and that was a wrap on them. But I remember yeah. one of them actually being really good. Like, not really good, but like one of them being pretty good for what it was supposed to be. And then I think it was the third one I seen, and I was like, eh. But maybe it could have been all right because – I kind of, I, I think the third one was more Frog Brothers, which I enjoyed. So I almost can't say, I'd have to rewatch before I give official official, but it's possible both sequels are all right, but it's very possible one sequel is all right and the other one's not all right, we'll say. It's in trouble. You got to get a GoFundMe yeah. for, the third, for one of those. But I, I mean, I've even talked to people that actually liked The Tribe. Yeah. Well, because one of them, and I think it is the tribe, was actually good. I'm pretty sure. I think it was the one with Savini's cameo, which kicked it off in a good direction of like, all right, you can fall back in and rest assured that someone that appreciates horror to some degree is making this film because why else would you have Tom Savini as a cameo? He, they know the audience they're going for. So it kind and of that was, I think, the early, two, the early 2000s, if memory serves correct, because I believe I was attending Savini's at the time around the time he did his cameo in this movie. Yeah. I, uh, you should have got a, you should have got a spot on there. Yeah, I could have been a biker, maybe throw me in the background. It could have been a fish. <laughs> could have swam around in the ocean because it was yeah, on the beach. Have... If I remember correctly, his cameo was on the beach and he comes out of his house and they get him. I think it's like that, the flying around effect of, you know, when they're coming out of the sky. But, uh, yeah, so what do you got, you know, Corey, the Corey movies, the Corey's movies, you know, they'll always, some of them are better than others, you know, like I, I definitely vibe with, you know, Lost Boys, License to Drive, the two best coming out of that. I got to put Last Resort is numero three, you know what I mean? Probably realistically, I'd probably have to put at that point, Dream a Little Dream, the first one, four, and then uh, Busted. I'd really have to watch Dream a Little Dream, two again to really f- see where the rest go. Busted, it's the last of their really starring in a duo type project, and like you could tell it's a wrap. And the fact that, the fa- unfortunately, the fact that Feldman had to be the, Feldman was directing. I feel like that was a big reason why there was two of them and it wasn't exactly another production company saying, hey, let's do a Corey movie, two Corey's movies. I think it was kind of Feldman going, we used to do Corey movies. Why don't we try one on our own and see if we can get some, make some waves with it? Um, but I think that was definitely the end. And fuck, man, I'd probably say my guess, you know, Dream a Little Dream 1 was the first chink in the armor or kink in the armor if you will chink in the armor kink in the armor and uh at that point i think they kind of got a little bit of footing back with national lampoon's last resort in my personal opinion you know i'd have to follow up with dream a little dream too to see if they had footing but my guess is 
they probably lost whatever they, and I, I think I'm just a rare occasion. Me and Billy like last resort, but I think overall, I think it's probably not a beloved film. Um, and then by busted busted's a good name for that movie. You know what I mean? Cause it busted. And, uh, that was kind of the end of the deal. I remember hearing an episode, hearing, uh, an episode of a podcast with Feldman getting interviewed. I think it was, it wasn't Keith. Stop me if this was Keith Coogan, Alex, but I think it was an interview I heard with Feldog. We might've talked about it on the Coogan one, but Feldog says that the reason why Haim kind of got lost in all that was because he didn't have family in the business where Feldog had well, family. So what well, happened? So what well, happened? I mean, I, I, I know where you're going with this. Uh, I know that when we had Coogan on, he uh, he made a comment that that was probably why Hame didn't do as well as as Feldman did. Right, should I tell the people at home so they know too? Okay. All right. So it would only be fair. So supposedly, yeah, the reason why Hame had issues is because nobody. He didn't have family in the business. If you have family in the business, the family in the business says, oh, you were doing great. Now you're slumping. But don't worry. Everything kind of rotates. So, like, don't kill yourself. Don't beat yourself with drugs. You know what I mean? Don't drink yourself into a coffin. You know, just wait it out. Persevere. And you'll get another opportunity to get another chance. And, you know, wait for that. And, and, and people in the show business know that, whereas opposed to Haim didn't know that. So he just said, fuck, I had a it good, it's gone, it's over. And I think he went heavy into the drugs. And Feldman must have learned that, or I don't know, wherever, wherever the deal was, somebody, if, if, if Feldog knew that or people knew that, uh, I don't know, somebody should have approached Haim with that news because uh, that is big. I assume that to be big. Knowing that there is... So, you know, there's like a, a, a at the end of it, there, there's some more hope. Like I said in the beginning, like, Haim would be a dude that would be popping up at conventions all over the world, killing it, you know, through. And I think the convention things kind of show, you'll see people that are at conventions a lot, that do a lot of heavy convention stuff. They do get work because I think that TV shows and movies go, oh, they're out there hustling. They're still getting their name out there. People still remember them. Yeah. Let's bring him in. Let's bring him in for a guest spot. So, like, I do think that Haim, if he was still kicking with us, he'd probably be on the Boombasticast, dude. He'd probably be all over conventions. He'd probably be popping up in small things on TV. You know, unfortunately, drug addiction is a horrible thing. You know what I mean? And he was in pretty deep, and he had his reasons, you know, and uh, it's a tough deal. But I think if he was still with us, I think – he would have done – he wouldn't – I don't think he'd be like Tom Cruise. I don't think he'd be starring in Hollywood films. I think he might have caught a second life on a hosting a TV show, uh, something where you're not really starring in movies, but you're important, like a game show host, you know, on some fun network. You know, I think he would have been a, a podcast. I think if the Corey started – I, if the Corey started a podcast, I'd listen to it. It could quite possibly have been a huge podcast of its time if you had both of them talking to guests and you have both the yin and the yang. You know, Feldman's more the laid back one now. Corey is more the wild one. 
like that, that dynamic would have been a great podcast show for real. Um, but there, and, you know, we're in a new age of all these new opportunities. Like, you don't think of podcasts back then, but nowadays they could have had a fucking podcast making half a million dollars a month off of a Patreon or something like that. You know what I mean? Maybe go on the road, go with the movies, you know, go do anniversary screenings and Q and a bring, you know, there's money there. You know what I mean? There's so many different ways for people to kind of make money nowadays off of the work in the past. You just got to stay alive long enough to get there. You know what I mean? And unfortunately he didn't, but if he was still here and if he was still here, Feldman would be doing more shit too because they were a team and when you lose one of them people almost don't like to be reminded that that missing wheel's gone so like they don't pay attention to that one who's surviving still and Corey has put himself in weird situations you know where people think he's a little crazy you know and they think he might be like difficult to work with or whatever I think that stuff just comes with the celebrity he is a celebrity he might not be your Kim Kardashians or he's better than Kim Kardashian, but he might not be who TMZ's talking about today, but TMZ's talking about him for a long time. And when he dies, it'll be a big deal. Um, hopefully not anytime soon, but like, uh, yeah, I think that the fact, you know, it's, it's, it, the passing hurt them both. You know, I think if they were, if, if Haim was still here, he'd be doing better than he ever thought he would be doing. And Feldman would probably be doing better than he's doing now because they could link up, Imagine seeing like, imagine seeing Kevin Smith take write and direct a Corey's movie. You know how cool that would be. Like that's stuff that you would probably see. You know, in, in this because it's just like they were kind of original, the stoner dudes type deal. But no, you know what I mean. Type vibe. Uh, it'd that's be cool. Not a bad idea. It's not going to happen, unfortunately. But it, no, it'd be that's, that's that's a good idea. But it probably won't happen. But that's not a bad idea. Well, I can say it definitely ain't going to happen unless Payne's coming back from the dead sometime soon. <laughs> but I think that, like, that would have been a good comparing. But the I still think the podcast, a Corey and Corey podcast, the Corey cast, would be fucking huge, dude. That'd be a big yeah, I, I, if, if it if, if that went well for them, I think it would be a perfect mix of, say, like, Movie Crypt with Adam Green and Joe Lynch and Joe Rogan. Put together. I mean, I I think that if they if if Haim was around and they were doing that, I think that could be a huge entity. On, on oh, yeah, I agree. If Fell Dog had a podcast, I'd listen to it now just because I'm so interested in his early career and he's really an interesting dude. He's got a book that he wrote, the, the choreography or something like that. I want to pick it up and read it to get a full inside look at this dude's life. But like, he seems like a very interesting character. And he's like uh, either crazy or genuine, you know what I mean? Which they're both equally as entertaining. And one thing that I think is really interesting about Feldman in interviews, yeah, he's very eloquent, yeah, and well put together in interviews. And I think that kind of for people watching, it's like, wow, this guy actually knows his stuff. So. You know, I think Feldman actually is, is actually a real smart dude. I mean, he's been doing, he's been doing something, you know, right. Time that has that has kept him afloat because even though he might not be as big as he was, say, you know, twenty years ago, hmm. he still is in the pantheon of you know that level of celebrity because we will hear about him, you know, periodically. And I think that's what's nice is to 
see that he is still, you know, recording, performing, um, you know, and just trying to do his best. Nobody stays on the top levels forever. Nobody does. Nobody he had his times up there and now he's here. And it's a good thing. And I think the people that were there at one point and now are here, I think they should look back and good thought of that. And it's not quite over for him, but understand that the bigger time was there, but it doesn't mean it has to be over type deal. And uh, Feldman, I get down with Feldman, you know, folks will be as crazy and stuff, but he's lived one hell of a life, man. You got to assume the stories that he has, the things he's seen, you know, and I'm not even being jokes with like Michael, J- like just hang with Michael Jackson, you know what I mean? And just like coming up the Corey craze and just be living that. And, you know, the films he was involved in and stuff like that. Like when you really think of the legacy, he's a quite it's a an amazing legacy. And uh, we'd love to interview him on the Boombastic cast. We'd probably even push Bill Coyne aside to next Sunday. If <laughs> Just yeah. joking. We'll never do that. We'll never do anything like that, Billy Boy. Don't you worry. Um, but uh, for, m- forward we move on getting Corey Feldog on the show because it would be a great get, great achievement for us on the cast. But you guys want to say anything, cl- anything in closing about the Corey films? No, I, I I pretty much said everything I thought. I mean, both of them were very talented actors. And uh, it's a shame that uh, Corey Haim uh, passed away as young as he did. Uh, it would have been nice to see uh, older um, Corey Haim, Corey Feldman do another movie together um, and see how age had, uh, you know, either tempered or changed them. But uh, unfortunately, uh, that'll never happen. And uh, I think that's lost. Rest in peace, Corey Haim. Rest in peace of mind, Corey Feldman, because they can never take away what you've created. And with that being said, Bill Coyne, thank you very much for being on shows evening. Appreciate it, though. Really appreciate it when you come on show, though. Very I appreciate, appreciate you guys even having me. Always, you know, uh, a beloved member of the Boombastic Media Network. Catch Billy Coin on Blood and Bud and the Dead Kids of Derry. Um, because we're much all, metal for one hand. That's kid. right, you know, which is all those shows are a part of the Boombastic Media Network. You know what I mean? Anybody out there looking to uh, support a little on the financial side? We love your likes. We like to give you those, uh, you get those episodes for freeze, but if you got some supportings and you have some $5 supports, maybe some $10 supports, or by golly, maybe even some $20 supports, we got a whole bunch of cool stuff you might like on the Patreon page at Boombastic Streaming, Boombastic with two O's streaming, whole bunch of cool stuff, the first tier podcast, five bucks, advanced early episodes, and uncut videos of all the podcasts on the network. I think there's two shows that you can't get video for, and that's only because video was never done. Uh, but all the rest of the other shows have back archived episodes as well as new episodes. So check that out. and We appreciate your support. And uh, heck yeah. So we'll catch you all on the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. Peace. Peace. Uh, yep. uh,